back here again and I thank especially Pastor Andrew uh, for inviting me and also for this tie that he just lent me to wear. <laughs> Very nice tie. Uh, it's great to be amongst you and I know some of you and uh, let's uh, share God's word together. If you can have James chapter 4 open in front of you. Uh, it's not exactly going to be uh, verse by verse exposition of this chapter uh, but uh, it will be based around this chapter as well as uh, other other verses. Will you join me in prayer as we ask God uh, to help us? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Christmas. Thank you for reminding us of who you are and what your Son has come to do. But help us also to understand rightly what Christmas is. And so today we pray that you might help us to also understand the idolatry of Christmas. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. What is at the root of your Christmas tree? I don't know if you have a Christmas tree at home, but here's a picture of a Christmas tree, a postcard one, but you might have actually a real one, isn't it? I love Christmas and we actually have a tree at home as well. We're trying to grow and if we have time, we'll put little presents below it and the kids love it. And I'm not against Christmas trees or Christmas presents at all, especially presents that I get. But the question to ask is, what lies at the root of your Christmas tree? You might say, actually, nothing. It's a plastic one. There's no roots. But I'm trying to ask, what is at the very heart of Christmas as the way that our world celebrates it? For friends, the Christmas tree and Christmas is really a little picture of what we think life is about. If we think that day, 25th of December, is about presents and getting stuff, it's because at the root of the Christmas tree is our hedonism, our love for pleasure, our love for money. That in the other 364 days in the year, that is what we want. And it all comes together in the Christmas tree. And Christian hedonism is where Christians also sway and are tempted into that love for pleasure that is all around us in our society. Even Christians, even the church can get into this hedonism, this love for pleasure. Look at here in James chapter 4 as James writes to the church there in the first century. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? People, Christians even today, are talking about desires and passion. But most of the time in the New Testament, the word passion and desires used in a negative way. Don't they come from your passions, your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, and you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And what's the wrong motive? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Pleasure itself is not wrong. It's a gift from God. And yet when we love, when we desire, when we live for pleasure, hedonism, that's when it becomes wrong. For friends, money is not the root of all evil, nor of your Christmas tree. It is the love of money, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's the love of money 
that is the root of all kinds of evil. And so here even the Christian church is tempted to love money, to spend everything on their pleasures. The cute question that little kids ask, you know, what am I going to get for Christmas? And you ask them back that cute question, well, what did you ask Santa for Christmas this year? That is the same question that we as adults ask, isn't it? Not Santa, of course, because we know there's no Father Christmas, because we know actually there's a Father God up there. What do we greedy adults ask from God in all our lives? What is it that we really want from life, that we really love, that we really worship, even though we claim to be Christian? And so here's the problem in the church in James. That love for pleasure for things actually makes them fight against one another. Makes them quarrel. They envy. And in verse 4, James speaks to them and makes it very plain what they are becoming like. It actually is a wrong translation. It says there, you adulterous people. That's the sort of um, uh, PR kind of, uh, PC kind of um, uh, translation, you know, don't offend anyone, male, female, adulterous people. But the original actually says it in the feminine, right? You adulteresses, you adulteresses. Not that women necessarily are more prone to adultery than the men, but in this picture of, of God being our husband, as you'll see later, it is the adulteress that is the one who runs away, who's unfaithful to God the husband. And so he says uh, to these people who are loving pleasure, loving things, he says, verse 4, you adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. To be a friend of the world is to be flirting with the world, to be the girlfriend of the world, to be turning away from God, our husband, and turning to worship this other God. And that is why Adultery is a very apt way of describing what these people are doing. For adultery is the same as idolatry. Spiritual adultery is what idolatry is. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. It's actually worshipping of another god. It's actually going after another god when you claim to have the Lord, Yahweh, as your true god. And friends, that's what Old Testament Israel did again and again, isn't it? And that's why God, again and again, was rightly jealous of his people. You know, there's a kind of jealousy that's actually good and proper, isn't it? Most of the time we think jealousy of the uh, sins of the flesh, and that's not right, and most jealousy is not right. But there's a jealousy that actually is right. That is the jealousy that wants to protect the husband-wife relationship. Uh, if, if the adulterous uh, wife comes home and says, Oh, guess what, honey? Uh, I slept with another man today and the husband says, oh yeah, that's nice, you know, was it nice? What's going on here? That, that man actually doesn't care about the wife, doesn't care about the relationship. To be jealous at that point is actually right. There's a righteous jealousy and that is the righteous jealousy that God has. And you see it there in the next verse. There in chapter 4 and verse 5, do you not think scripture says without reason that the spirit he has caused to live in us 
envies intensely. Envies intensely. Well, if you look at the footnote in your NIV, verse 5 says, Or do you not know that Scripture says without reason that God jealously longs for the spirit that he's made to live in us? Or that the spirit he's caused to live in us longs jealously? That is, God is a God who is jealous, who wants to protect that exclusive relationship he has with us. And if we run after pleasure in other gods, then we are being the adulteress. And God is jealous. God is jealous. For ultimately, to so worship other things, Christian hedonism is really bow worship, as you see in point 1b. In the Old Testament, bow was the great uh, foreign god, the pagan god in the land of Canaan. So people of God came to the promised land of Canaan. They were meant to get rid of all the Canaanites, especially to get rid of all their gods, Baal and the Ashtaroth. But they did not. And so the Baal became the stumbling block. You know, it's a very um, apt way of describing this idolatry. Because you know what kind of god Baal was? Baal was the fertility god. Gal Bao is the God who's meant to give you the rain, is meant to give you the sunshine, is meant to give you the crops, the harvest, the land, the sustenance, uh, riches. Bao is the God of the Canaanites who is meant to give you fertility and security in life. You know how people worship Bao? Often Bao worshipped included temple prostitutes. That is, as um, men committed sexual acts of these prostitutes, somehow that would excite the bow God. And this fertility that was happening down on the ground in this immoral way was to somehow produce fertility amongst the gods and God would then be fertile and give his blessing and fertility to you on the land. See how closely idolatry and adultery is linked together. Bow was the fertility God. The modern bow, friends, is greed, isn't it? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And just as the people of God, the Israelites, spread themselves under every high tree in the worship of Baal and Astaroth, so we can worship at the Christmas tree. Hedonism, the love of pleasure, bow worship, that is what is at the root of the Christmas tree. And it is so, so unthinkable and awful for God's people. For who in the Old Testament gave the Israelites the great promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey? Who was the one who gave them houses they did not build, who gave them the, the plants? The, the, who was that? It was Yahweh. It was their God who saved them. And they turned to another God, as though this other God is the one who would give them all that blessing. If it's so unthinkable, then why, why, do, they, why do we go after Baal? Well, it's because of point two, the attractiveness of Baal. You see the attractiveness here in chapter James chapter 4, verse 3, to spend what you get on your pleasures. Pleasure. 
happiness. That is what buying and spending gives us, isn't it? When you go shopping, too bad to walk out with those bags. That is happiness, isn't it? That's for the women. The men, they don't do that. We go on eBay, isn't it? eBay is actually better. You get three times happiness. The first happiness, when you actually win the bid. The second happiness, when you actually pay for it and it's confirmed. And the third and final happiness is when they actually send it to you. And the doorbell rings and they deliver it to you. But it's all the same, isn't it? We want the stuff to make us happy. We think that the stuff will make us, ah, it's so good. It's really keeping up with the Joneses. You know that phrase in, in, uh, in English, they're keeping up with the Joneses, I guess in Asian culture it's keeping up with the Wongs or the Lees. But actually that's the title of a recent movie coming up on the screen, it's the picture of the movie, it's called The Joneses. And here, uh, the man of X-Files fame and uh, Demi Moore, they star as the, the husband and wife and they with their perfect family, the two teenage kids, they move into a suburban uh, area in, in the United States, of course. And they are the ones who, if you look closely, have all those cool things, you know, the latest gadgets, the latest designer clothes and everything. And they move in and they are actually spending money and showing off their car and their house and all their neighbours go, but you know what? They're not actually a family. They're actually employed by a marketing company. And they're there deliberately to go into the suburb to create envy, you see? So that people actually want more and buy more. The thing is, in real life, thank you, in real life, you actually don't need a marketing ploy like that, isn't it? We do it to each other enough. It's all about comparison. It's all about keeping up with the Joneses, isn't it? Here's a grid I saw a little while ago. The next slide, thank you. Yeah, I think I actually got this one wrong. Um, if we actually follow this grid, then Andrew will always be happy and Robert will always be unhappy. Um, Andrew buys iPhone, Andrew buys iPhone, and Robert only gets the second-hand, third-hand Nokia, so Robert's always going to be unhappy. Uh, what, what this should read is, um, I think it should be Andrew on the top and Robert down the side. And when you follow the grid, basically what it's saying is, when one buys the brand new iPhone 4S and the other only has a third-hand Nokia, then the one with the iPhone 4S is very happy and the one with the Nokia is very unhappy. And when you reverse it, then the other one's happy and the other one's unhappy. But the interesting thing is, when both of you just have the Nokia, well, you're both okay. And when both of you have the iPhone 4S, you're still just, just okay. It's all about comparison, not in the end about the, the thing itself. And spoken of here in James chapter 4, isn't it? You see there, in James chapter 4 and verse 3, You ask, you do not receive, because you ask the wrong motives, that you spend what you get on your pleasures. It's about pleasure, isn't it? Because there in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it's about envy, it's about coveting. Verse 2, you want what you, uh, you want something but you don't get it, you kill and you covet. You see, you envy. It's all about envy. That's why they fight against each other. It's about comparison. You've got something that I don't have. It's, it's just envy. We think they'll give us happiness. We think they'll make us better than others. And thirdly, we think they'll give us control, give us security. 
That's what money does, isn't it? Look at James chapter 4 at the end there in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or this or that city, spend a year here, carry on business and make money, earn money. There is that control we think we can have. Plan out our life. You know, I'll go here and I'll go to Polly and then I'll get a degree here overseas and then I'll get a master's degree as well and then I'll get some extra diplomas and I'll get overseas experience and I'll be really set in my career then I'll work for the big four and then I'll be up and up. We think we've got control and we think if we can actually earn, you know, three, four, five thousand a month then, hey, we really got it made. We, we're better than other people and we'll be secure and we can be safe enough to put that deposit on the HDB flat and everything will be right. We think that money not only will buy happiness, but our security. Friends, that's exactly what Baal was in the Old Testament, isn't it? Baal was the fertility god. It would give us the riches so that you can enjoy the fruit of the land. It was the god who will give us security in the land. The attractiveness of Baal. But thirdly, it's a lie. Point three, the lie of Baal. Even non-Christians are now recognising that if you just love money and run after money, that it's not going to deliver. It's a lie. It doesn't work. There's a man who wrote a book called Affluenza. Not Influenza, not the flu, but it's Affluenza. It's a secular book, as far as I know. This guy is not a Christian. You read through the book, there's a lot of swearing in it. Um, But he's recognising that just chasing money, you're going to be disappointed. But he says, this love of money is like a disease. It's like a flu. It's catching. One person has it and and other people get it. And in the end, it's more than just a flu. It's more like SARS. It actually brings great destruction. It breeds unhappiness. It uh, has statistics and shows that those who are in this kind of rat race and loving money, that they actually have more medical stresses and more vulnerable to emotional distress and anxiety uh, more breakup within family life. Um, they end up building a great house, but there, there's really no home. Uh, the typical uh, nowadays is to own your iPhone 4S, isn't it? You know, when you're on the train, if you're one of those who actually rides the train and when the train are moving, uh, when you're on the train and you see someone else, you now they're just there, you know, playing on their apps, you know, and the iPhone 4S, that's really good. Not only do they have apps, but you can, you can talk to it. You don't have to touch it. It'll do things for you. It'll email for you. In fact, now, instead of actually talking to other people through our phone, we can actually talk to our phone. <laughs> and you know what? This iPhone 4S actually answers back. Apparently, a friend of mine uh, asked another friend, and, and you can even ask the iPhone 4S, will you marry me? <laughs> and you know what it'll say? It'll say back, but I hardly even know you. <laughs> That's great. And... See, we can get rid of people altogether and just love things and any people around, we just use them so that we can get our own way and get more things. See, the love of things actually in the end destroys relationship. And so we're driven by this expectation of more and more from others, from ourselves, and even the non-Christians recognise it. But friends, God has recognised it all along. He in James, it speaks about 
how silly it is. James, as you know, is the great book on wisdom in the New Testament and often James looks back to, to Proverbs. Here's a few bits of wisdom way back then, thousands of years. Here's God telling us that the chasing of money and pleasure is not going to last. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 coming up on the screen. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy, that desire for what other people have. The wanting for what you do not have. Just digs in you, rots you, and you just don't feel like, and you just feel like you have to get. But once you get it, then there's the next thing, isn't it? There's always the latest that you can go after. Or Proverbs 23 verse 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. So easy, isn't it? In your job, in your career, just you, you just wear yourself out. All you do in life is eat, work, sleep, and then wake up, eat, work, sleep, and every now and then you fit in a movie and shopping. Yeah, life is, and, and we're so busy like, like, like rats in a, in a little wheel, and are running so fast, working so hard, weary, and we don't even notice what we're doing. But it's okay because the little rats got their little nice little Nikes on and so everything's fine. Or Proverbs 15 verse 27. A greedy man brings trouble to his family. He who hates bribes will live. I think they're especially talking about the greed, you know, the greed that leads men into uh, setting up dodgy deals, uh, giving bribes and all kinds of things. You know how uh, people come after you if you owe them money, isn't it? Uh, they don't send the lawyers, they send the Chinese kind of uh, people who knock on your door. Things trouble to the family. I know some families like that. and um, Awful, awful fear. that, And the family is really splitting up. And Wisdom tells us, this is not the way to live. This is not the way to go. In the uh, uh, newspaper this morning uh, that I saw, uh, this is not the Straits Times, this is the other one. The, uh, is it the Sunday Times? Sunday Times, yeah. You have a section here on her cheating heart. Right? It's all about how now wives are cheating in Singapore as well as the men and um, that out of every ten unfaithful spouses, three to five are now women. Ten years ago, it was only one out of ten. Now it's three or five. And uh, this writer says that one of the reasons why it's happening is, well, our society um, doesn't care about right and wrong anymore. Uh, everybody else is doing it, so you know you want to run after your pleasure. It says here, people are starting to be less judgmental and more tolerant of many things. If I'm not happy with my spouse, what's wrong with finding another one? See how happiness, that governs everything. You know, I'm not happy, well, I'll go somewhere else to find happiness. It also is saying that women are now more likely to do it because they have more financial power. They're now working. They don't have to rely on the husband. Uh, to give them money anymore. And if the husband doesn't talk to them, well, they find some other colleague that will talk to them and why not run off with them? See how greed, how, how careerism, how power in financial ability, because of our sinful hearts, we run after other things. And so, it does not deliver, it wrecks lives. Point 3b, look at what Proverbs says in terms of how it does not deliver. Proverbs 27 verse 20, Death and destruction are never satisfied, 
and neither are the eyes of men. It's like little kids now, when they see the great, great smoggers board, you know, the great meal in front of them, they can eat as much as they like. And we have that phrase there, their eyes are bigger than their stomachs. They think they can eat all this and they tile it on and they just can't eat it. And yet their eyes, they're never satisfied. They say, oh, but I'll, I'll go for dessert as well. I'm really full because I have a second stomach for dessert, right? And we want more and more and more. It never satisfies. There's a law of diminishing returns. You're happy walking away from the shop with the bags. But you've got to come back the next week to get more. Proverbs 25 verse 16. If you find honey, eat just enough. Nothing wrong with honey, right? Eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. One of my daughters uh, loved mango. And when she was about five or six, she ate about three or four mangoes all at once. And then she actually sort of felt very sick and I can't remember whether she vomited but from then on in she could never eat mangoes again. <laughs> uh, so just have enough. Be satisfied. Be content with what you have. James chapter 4 here speaks of the fact that affluenza does not deliver. Come with me to chapter 4 and verse 13. Remember... He's talking about the person who thinks he has security. He used to say, today, tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year here, carry on business and make money. But look at the warning of James, verse 14. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow, let alone next year or the year after. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You miss that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We had a, a person at the New South Wales University a famous lady now because there's a little memory of her uh, in one of the buildings because she, uh, I think, was from Taiwan. She just graduated uh, from her master's degree, I think, and she was walking from the bottom of the campus to the top of the campus to the administration building uh, to get her results, you know, hard copy, so that she can go back home. She's about to get married and she got her degree and she just wants her results so that she can show and get the job and everything was fine. But as she was walking up the uni, they were building some buildings at the top and this truck, the brake uh, came loose and the truck actually rolled back and hit her and she died. There's a little plaque there on a wall which uh, is there in memory of her. She had everything in front of her, the whole world in her hands. When she was walking up the campus, did she know that she would never walk down the campus? I don't think so. See, none of us know when God will take us. We think that we can protect ourselves, but in the end, we cannot. We are but a mist. Even if you live for 70, 80 years, what is that in terms of eternity? We are but a mist. We are not those who are in control of our lives. It does not deliver and yet it's so seductive, isn't it? This is money, these things, uh, it's, it's so much in us. It's there from the time we're young. I remember when my son was just three years old, he, he was loving toys, you know, Happy Meals, he and then he just loving things. And so my wife and I thought, maybe we should teach him a little bit about uh, money and, and, uh, and greed. And so uh, we thought, let's show him this Veggie Tales, you know, Veggie Tales, Christian cartoon. And there's this classic Veggie Tales where um, I think it's uh, Madame Blueberry, She's very blue because she's very envious, very unhappy, blue, you know, down in the dumps. And she's blue because 
her neighbour, I don't, can't remember who it was, was getting all these new things. And so Madame Bluebear was on a tree and her neighbour in the other tree was getting all these things. New TV, new couches, new everything. So what did Madame Blueberry do? Madame Blueberry went to Shop Mart, right, it's an American thing. Uh, went to Shop Mart and all these trucks bought all these things and all these trucks were coming to deliver to her house up in the tree. So up came a sofa, up came a big TV, up came all these things and, and, and loaded her with all kinds of stuff. But so much so that the tree began to topple. And so much so it topples and in the end, in the end it falls down into the neighbour, into their lake and it falls all over the place. So we turn it off and we say, Now, Jordan, uh, what did you learn from that? And he looked at us and he said, You've got to build your house on the ground. <laughs> it's so much in us, isn't it? We want the stuff and we want it as long as I can somehow keep it secure, it'll be okay. But we cannot. It does not deliver. And you know what? It's not just the non-Christian out, out there who are worshipping Bao. There is point four, Bao in Yahweh's clothing. Bao in Christian clothing. You heard the phrase, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, he's Bao, he's the foreign pagan god actually dressed up in Christianity, making it look safe and even religious. In Australia, there's a church near us uh, called Hillsong, and uh, led by a guy called uh, Brian Houston. And he wrote a book recently, I hear this on the screen. Uh, yep, the book is You Need More Money, uh, Discovering God's Amazing Financial Plan for Your Life, is what it says. And in the book, what he actually says very straightforwardly is, uh, if you only trust God, then he'll give you more money. He quotes uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Next slide, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who will give you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant with you, etc. See, God will give you the ability, the power to get wealth. They always quote from the Old Testament, isn't it? Anyway, um, and there it is. And in the book he says, look, if you don't believe that you can own the best house, you'll never get it. That part he's probably got right. Um, but then he says, look, if you actually believe God and his promises that he'll bless you, then what you should do is just pray that you'll get it. Actually, go to the best suburb in your area, go to the nicest street of that suburb, and go to the nicest looking house, and just pray for it. And if you just trust God, then he'll give it to you. Now if you stop and think, that actually can't happen, isn't it? Because we all go to the same best street, best suburb and best house and we're all trying to get the same house, isn't it? How, how can we all get it, you know? But there's what we call the prosperity gospel. And it's not just in Sydney with Brian Houston, it's, it's all in Singapore, isn't it? The promises that God will give you much riches if you only put this in the offering plate or if you only say this prayer or if you actually just go to their church. And you know what? It actually does not deliver. The prosperity gospel in the end, <laughs> for some people it works, and they're the people they put up on the stage, you know, great testimony. But for most people it does not work. And the people who go out the back door of those churches 
often as much as those who come in the front door. And they go out very disappointed. They go out disillusioned. They go out thinking, either I do not have enough faith or that God doesn't care or that he even is not there. Some people leave Christianity. Friends, it is a it is false advertising. They should be sued for false advertising. But it's not just the prosperity gospel people. It can be amongst evangelical churches too, can't it? Where we in the end still, yes, we've got God, we've got Jesus, we've got salvation. Yes, we know that you know there's going to be suffering in this life. But hey, we hope that hey, we we'll don't have suffering too much. And we hope that in the end we can enjoy a bit of both, a bit of riches as well and loving that. And, and sometimes the... the, 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 the um, the trap, the temptation is, you might give it up for yourself, you know, okay, I'm going to be content and turn away from that. But it's when our children come, what we want for them, often our, our sinful heart comes out again. God's blessing, but also it comes out in the whole idea of calling, friends. Christians talk about calling, our vocation. They even back it up in the Bible in places like Ephesians chapter 6 coming up on the screen. You see here in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, it speaks about work in terms of how we should really work hard, doesn't it? It speaks about in verse 6 there, you know, work uh, not just to win the favour or when their eye is on you, when the master's eye is on you, but uh, work doing the will of God in verse 6 with, with your heart, wholeheartedly. Verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, you see. And so people say, oh, you've got to really give everything to your work, to your career, because you're actually serving God. And if you're going to be the best engineer, doctor, whatever, architect, uh, accountant, you're going to be the best one in your, your field, and, and everyone looks up to you and says, oh, and, and you're also a Christian. Oh, we'll fall down and become Christians, you know, we'll go to your church. And we think that just by us giving everything to our career, that that actually is God's calling for our life. That is God's vocation for our life. But friends, the Bible never uses the word calling in that way. In the Bible we're called to be his children, we're called to salvation, we're called to heaven, we're even called to suffering, but never are we called as Christians to a particular job. In fact, it's interesting. The kind of jobs that Christians get called to are always the professional kind of work, isn't it? You ever heard someone say, you know, God has called me, I think, he's leading me, calling me to be um, cleaning the toilets in the supermarket in Amokio. Has anyone ever said that to you? It's funny, we have a very middle class Holy Spirit, isn't it? Who's always calling us to... And even this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, it is not talking about give 110% to your boss, to your work, to your career. What it's saying is, don't be... Slack. Don't be lazy. Don't be just working, you see, in verse 5 and 6, when they're looking at you. I had some friends, he had some friends who um, were so slack at work that they had their computer, you know, and they're always playing their computer games until the boss comes in. And then they have this button which they call the boss button. As soon as the boss comes in, they press the button and all these graphs come up on the screen. Tash <laughs> is saying, don't be like that. Work Sincerely, that's what it means by wholeheartedly, sincerely, that is to be faithful in your work. In fact, friends, notice here, even the slaves 
Even the slaves can be godly in doing that. It's not the high class, it's not the professionals. In Titus it says that even the slaves, as they work honestly in their work, can make the gospel attractive. It's not how successful we are in the world in work. It is our godliness at work that will make the gospel attractive. And yet it's so easy, isn't it? To think of my career, that's where God is calling me. Friend, that is bow, dressed up in this thing called vocation. Bow in Yahweh's clothing. Well then, we've looked at the attractiveness of bow, the lie of bow, and how bow can sneak its way in even in our Christian lives. And finally, point five, the idolatry of Christmas. Friends, Jesus is the true idol of God. Strange phrase, isn't it? But look at Colossians chapter 1, what Paul says, Colossians chapter 1, on the screen there. For he, that is uh, talking about um, God the Father, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of, in other words, the idol, yeah, an image, an idol. He is the idol of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's what Christmas is about, friends. God the Son becoming man. But as you look at Jesus, you see God. He's the true image of God, the true idol of God. So the problem with all the other idols is they distort our view of God. You look at bow, you look at a statue, and it cannot do anything for itself. It's made out of a bit of wood, and it, it can't speak, it can't talk. I was in Hong Kong once, and I saw this great big idol, some you know, Buddhist kind of thing. And down below was all this food, fruit and stuff. So I went up to it, and I said, ding dong, and said, ah, eat, why don't you eat? And it didn't respond, it didn't eat. And everybody around me was looking at me. And, but idols, they, they distort God. How can this thing that cannot even speak or eat ever help me? It makes me think as though, as though God really is, is a lump of wood, but not Jesus. Remember Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. Jesus, God's Son become man who is still truly God. He is the true idol of God. And as the true idol of God, you see in verse 13, he delivers us. He delivers us, rescues us. That's the word rescue in verse 13. The word redemption in verse 14 is about Jesus rescuing, delivering us from what? From the punishment of sin. There's the forgiveness of sins in verse 14. He rescues us from the dominion of darkness, from Satan, from Baal. He's the one who says, yes, we have sinned, but he has died for us. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about a baby. It's about Jesus, the man, hanging on the cross. And he also delivers us, not only from sin, not only from the punishment from sin, but also from what idols cannot deliver. For he is the true son, the true God, the one who gives us true life. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the heir, he is the one who is the true son who inherits the whole of the world. And so 
Colossians goes on to speak about how he, he's the one through whom God made everything and we actually are made by him and we are made for him. Jesus gives us what the idols cannot give us. Jesus gives us true identity that we are his children. He gives us a true worship of who we are to live for. For him, not for our own pleasures or keeping up with the Joneses. Jesus is the idolatry of Christmas. He in James chapter 4, it speaks of it in terms of this word grace, isn't it? Verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. That although we are people who might have strayed, but, verse 6, God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter in the morning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's now grace, there's now generosity, there's now an offer of mercy. You know, just because we want to turn back to God doesn't mean that he has to forgive us, does it? The adulterous wife, just because she says, oh, well, that's a silly thing I've done, you know, wrong thing, sinful thing, I'll repent, I'll go back to my husband. He does not have to accept her, does he? Uh, I guess the law of the land, even the law of Jesus says, because of adultery, you have the right to, to divorce. It is out of the grace, the mercy of God, that he even will accept us back. And so he is the grace. He is what Christmas is about. He is the idolatry of Christmas in Jesus himself. But the idolatry of Christmas is also the idolatry of what Christmas is in the world around us, isn't it? And what Christmas is in the world around us is that it is bow. Notice there in verse 8, James speaks to them of being double-minded. Come near to God, you know, humble yourselves, wash your hands, repent, purify your hearts, you double-minded. For that is what God's people worshipping bow, that is what they're doing, they're being double-minded. They're saying, I want to follow God, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to follow riches and wealth. They've got a foot in both camps. It's what we call syncretism. That is, trying to have it all. Having to have both. Trying to combine both. That's why you get bowed, dressed up in, in Christian clothing. You're trying to get away with both. That's why the prosperity gospel, it's trying to have both. It's syncretism. It's trying to worship Yahweh, Jesus, as well as bow at the same time. James finishes off his letter by referring to Elijah and really, I think 1 Kings chapter 18 is behind much of what James is saying. Come with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, which is up on the screen there. He is the famous, the famous Mount Carmel encounter, isn't it? You've got the prophets of Baal on one hand, you've got Elijah the prophet. And the people of God, well, they've been following, worshipping the Baal. So Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver? between two opinions, you see? They're being double-minded. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Here's a choice. You can't do both. 
And really the Israelites were Asian, weren't they? The people said nothing. Classic response. And then Elijah shows up the uh, inadequacy of Baal. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Immediately, Elijah says, now why don't you get Baal to light up the sacrifice, you know, miraculously. Elijah began to taunt them. They were all praying to this Baal and nothing was happening. And Elijah was saying, shout, shout louder. Surely he's God. That's his deep in thought. Always busy, and the actual test should read, he's actually busy in the toilet. Uh, maybe he's travelling. Maybe he's sleeping. Or he must be awakened. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying to bow until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Because in the end, thou is not God. But it pretends to be God, doesn't it? It pretends to lure us in and to give us the happiness, the security, the... But there's the choice for us. The attractiveness of Baal or Yahweh. Just to end off, he's a great statement of the attractiveness of Baal in the Straight Times a few years ago. Uh, here, in this article written by Andrew Duffy, who I think is not yet not a Christian at all, uh, he gives you the attractiveness of, uh, of shopping in, in Singapore. It's a conversation between uh, the shopper, that's us, and the object of desire. Think of whatever you want, the Gucci bag, right, or, or iPhone S4 or whatever. And it goes like this. Object of desire, calling across the crowded sales floor. Over here, over here. Shopper, crossing crowded sales floor quickly, unable to believe the beauty of the object of desire. I didn't think that you would be for sale. Object of desire. I knew you would come. Now we've found each other. We must never be parted. It's like Proverbs chapter 7 onwards, isn't it? The, the, the adulteress, the, the temptress. Shopper says, you are so lovely, but I don't need you. Object of desire. Ah, that's why you desire me so much. Is that so? Yes. So take me to the cashier and I will be yours forever. No, no, I can't hear. I was all right before I met you. Object of desire. But now that you have met me, you know that your life will be incomplete without me. If you don't buy me, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Not so, I can walk away. If you walk away, someone else may buy me. You miss your chance. Today, I'm a bargain. You know, you're a bargain. I, I can't afford today. Object is desire. Suddenly calling to other shoppers passing by. Over here, over here, I'm over here. Be quiet. They might hear you. Ah, you see, you do love me. You cannot resist me. You don't want someone else to buy me. Don't fight it. We were meant to be together. And now I'm here at 40% off. You cannot resist me. Now, let's go to the cashier, shall we? Friends, what is the name of the adulteress? What is Bao? Her name is the Great Singapore Sale. <laughs> it just captures up what Baal is in our life, isn't it? But remember Elijah on Mount Carmel. Remember what James is saying. You cannot be double-minded. You've got to choose to stay who you're going to serve. If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Don't be sitting you know, with a foot on the, on the pier and a foot on the boat. 
That's an awful place to be, especially as the boat goes further and further away, isn't it? You've got to make your choice. You know, if you're going to follow riches and everything, just, just become a non-Christian and sort of it, enjoy it yes. for a little while. That's better than trying to be a Christian and trying to have a bit of both and feeling guilty. If Bow is God, then just follow him. But if Yahweh is God, if Christmas is true, if Jesus is the idol of Christmas, the true idol, the true image, then follow him. Don't be double-minded. One or the other. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your warning to us in the book of James. Thank you for this warning about the adulteress, about how we can be adulteresses as we turn away from you and follow the things of this world. Please, Father, help us to be those who know that all good things come from you. Help us to be content with what we have. Help us not to mask our desire for security and greed and money and significance by thinking that our work is our vocation or calling. But help us to be those who work to live, to get food, but who do not live for the things of this world, but who live for you, the true God, the one who sent his son, the true idol of Christmas. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.